Welcome to Real Indigenous, where these real Indigenous peoples get real about what's on our screen and everything in between. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the art of criticism. Speaking of critics, we got a cool crew here and bringing their thoughts and their feelings and, of course, their critical minds. And they are... Uvanga Angela Starts. Uh, Sunrise, me. Uh, Matt Bars. Noetta Hardjo. Monica Braid. Jason, Ace now. Happy to be back. <laughs> My friends. Birthday boy, AKA birthday boy. That's right. Everybody send your love offerings to Jason A. Snap. He turns 21 today. That's right. <laughs> Plus tax. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So Gustav Flaubert once said, one becomes a critic when one cannot be an artist. Just as a man becomes a stool pigeon when he cannot be a soldier. Hmm. Well, he might be wrong about that because all these cats on here are pretty much artists and they're also critics. And so in this episode, we're going to talk about criticism and their approach and how they do it. And so I guess more than anything, to quote, we just say our opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. So we're just going to talk about how we express our opinions. So let's kind of get started and talk about how we approach a work of art and how we critique it, whether it's film, whether it's other kind of media content, TV, those kind of things. So basically tell us like, who are you and why should anyone listen to you and give a shit about what you got to say? So tell me about yourselves and what y'all do and what makes y'all a valuable critic. I started performing when I was three. And so I've been on stage, on screen. Since then, I grew up with a family full of storytellers. The pruners were storyteller extraordinaires. They had perfect timing on all their stories. And so it's just kind of in my blood. But then when I worked for Indian Health Service, I kind of got drafted to start doing a lot of storytelling for dental health, which is kind of weird, a weird way to get introduced into this. But I started writing articles for the newspaper and designing posters and deciding what messaging we were going to do for dental health. And one of the dentists there was like, you need to go to college. And so I went to college, got my journalism degree. While I was there, I got my film theory major or minor, you know, going to school at OU and getting all that film theory was I mean, really eye-opening to me. It really changed the, the way I consume things, consume media and understand how it affects us on a subconscious level. So that's me, Angela. Thanks, Angela. That's awesome. I didn't know that about you. This is Monica in case you're still learning our names or the sounds of our voices, <laughs> or some of us are newer. For me, I studied film when I was in college. I wanted to be like the next Michael Moore. I wanted to make documentary films and I made exactly one um, <laughs> and then moved on with my life <laughs> and did other things. But I've always been involved in the arts, whether it was like being a film programmer for a film festival or as a journalist, not so much the arts, but definitely criticism, constantly criticizing things as a journalist. <laughs> yeah, that's, I have lots of opinions about it, but I like to deliver criticism with like, like if I'm giving constructive criticism, <laughs> like not critique, but constructive criticism, like at work or something like that. We were just talking about this today. Deliver it as the shit sandwich where you're, you say something really nice about something and then, but this could use some work and then but also I loved this thing. And so people feel better about what you're delivering, which sometimes I feel that way with criticism too. Like, especially if it's someone I know that worked on something, it's really hard for me to say like, oh, that felt really inauthentic or something like that. Yeah, Monica, the, I I agree with a lot of things you're saying. This is Sunrise. So the things that you're talking about with this like balancing between positives and negatives. I think that's a natural part of criticism because if you're going to be put in a position where you have to say something good as well as something bad, you should know what those are. And so at some point, if you're going to prep to do that in any form, you're already thinking about those things. And there's some level of criticism that comes with that. Um, I would say I agree the same way. You know, when I was in education, that's what I would have to do with students. You obviously can't just tear them apart 
you have to be able to be positive and supportive while also like indicating where there's room to grow. But then the same thing happens like when I'm on set, right? I'm working with other artists and other collaborators and you can't say that something's entirely bad because then you're kind of discounting any work that somebody's gone through. You got to validate them as much as support them in a growth. That's the same thing like with a student as it is on set. And now that I'm in the area of like programming, this is also the thing I've got to be doing, you know, probably not articulating it as much if I'm like programming so much as like in this position where there's some criticism that's a little bit more vocal. But I think overall, no matter what, there's a disservice if you don't see both sides of this coin. Um, Nobody is perfect. And so anything anybody does, it's going to have flaws. But most artists have come from somewhere and there's something that they're doing that is valuable. And uh, sometimes it's harder to see that because the flaws are more obvious. Um, But there is always something that I think that is valuable. And uh, I feel like that comes from my background in fine arts school. Right. So I was an OU like Angela, probably not the same time, but that's what we had to do in critique. You had to like uh, say something good as well as something bad. And obviously as an educator and something I had to do, that's a hard thing, especially when it's like everybody agrees that something's bad or everybody agrees that something's good. Being able to identify the things that are the areas that are the opposite, I think is the toughest thing. Well, I just come from a very different, I guess, realm when it comes to what I do. I currently write for Geek Girl Authority, um, mainly doing recaps and reviews of different TV shows. Uh, A few films here and there. I am the only Indigenous person on the site, so I get a lot of the Indigenous content that is thrown our way or interviews and stuff like that. I do have a media background. I have an associates in journalism, and I've been on the radio as a DJ. So that's my media background. And somehow it ended up being, you know, it kind of went trajectory where I was reviewing things. So that's what I call it reviewing. I don't call it uh, critiquing because to me, it's from a fan point of view, it's, that's where I'm I'm coming from more than, I guess, a technical point of view. Because uh, I was, I did take a few film classes in college, but I wasn't like, I was more the audio than I was the video part. Uh, of the journalism. And so being on the site, you know, getting to see different things, there have been some things that I thought was complete trash and I didn't want to write about. Nothing in the indigenous content realm, but just other things that I just felt like, you know, just was not well-made. And I don't know, I just feel like my voice is more of a fan voice than it is anything else. I do write, but I, I honestly haven't I haven't finished anything because I'm afraid of the criticism. <laughs> so <laughs> there's there's a there's a little bit there's like a a give and take I guess to it where um, if you if you are going to put yourself out there you are opening yourself up to the criticism, but then if you are the one criticizing you know you kind of kind of got to know what people are doing and kind of where they're coming from and so. But like you said, everybody has an opinion on things. Some of them may not be well-researched. And I think also sets myself apart is that you research the background of either the writer or the story, if it's a true story or, or kind of, or the book, if it's coming from a book, you kind of, you kind of got to look at that kind of thing and see, you know, what that, what that voice was saying and then, and how it was projected onto the screen. And so that's just kind of the way I look at it. You almost got to get in the mindset of the creator in order to really understand what the story is supposed to be and how, if it is well executed on screen or not. But that's just where I come from. I, I've i loved film and movies all my life. I decided pretty young, I could trace it back to when I was three or four, when I wanted to be involved in movies somehow. I didn't know how yet at that time. So I'd watch a lot, consume a lot of VHS, and then a uh, family got a, a camcorder. So I started making my own home movies and got pretty good at editing and blocking and kind of I wanted to learn more about those areas and that led to me learning about screenwriting. This is before I got into college and when I got into college that kind of opened my eyes to all sorts of things. I went to OCCC and got first-hand experience on the techie side and then I went to OU and got a lot of theory and opened my really opened my eyes to world cinema. That's um, one of the biggest things I got out of OU. I got a lot out of OU but Seeing what was out there besides American films was uh, was eye opening. Cool, cool, cool. And Jay Snap. Yeah, just looking back to what I 
started writing, I guess you could, it's criticism. Yeah, 2017, I was working with um, the great Tristan Atone, the great Kiowa editor. He's an editor at Grist. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. He's been doing this for a bit, you know, journalism. And we were talking, we, we were talking and we were just like, like um, there's not a whole lot of people writing consistently criticism, like about indigenous films or pe- films that are even made by uh, non-indigenous people. Uh, and there's so much to write about because it's like, it's littered with crap, <laughs> and, but it's not done artfully or like, or funny or snarkily or, or, you know, we couldn't find a whole bunch of it. So we just decided to, to try to start working together and, I think the first thing I did for High Country News in 2017, it was, I wrote about, um, was it Neither Wolf Nor Dog? And then, scrolling, Wind River. Yeah, Taylor Sheridan. When, uh, and there's so much to say about him. Monica's and, crush? <laughs> what's that? <laughs> Obvious crush, yeah. Hey, he loves Comanches. That's what, he's got a crush on Comanches. Uh, oh, he's got a crush on Sunrise then. Oh, you too, Jason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Both of us. The whole tribe. So, yeah, yeah I guess my... I guess I just I, I mostly stepped in to a role as a critic, I guess you could say, because I felt like there was like this need to do it. I didn't see anyone else really doing a whole bunch of it. And I, I was like, I, I'm just going to do it. And, and we just I did a whole bunch of it with High Country News starting in 2017. And then we just did like Tristan basically was like, let's do a whole year, like a movie, a, a movie a month. And we started we didn't start from the beginning of the year, but it was like we, we just said, let's do a whole year of it. And then. I was like, there's not enough. At that at that point, there was not enough. It was like, where the hell are we going to find a, a movie a year? Like 2018, we started with Where the Wild Things Are. Not Where the Wild Things Are. That's the title. That's what he titled this uh, review. It was a really good film. It was, uh, what the heck is it called? Edge of the Knife. Yeah. We started with that one. And we just tried to do as many as we could. I just We just had to find, find them. And it was fun. That's how I got started getting into this kind of thing where what Noetta was talking about too, that's hard to actually write about these things when a lot of these people are your friends. You have to figure out your own approach on how to do that. It's still tough for me to figure that out. Like I wrote this big thing in, in September of 2021 titled, not this big thing, this thing called The Time of the Indigenous Critic Has Arrived, where it's just like this big kind of like, I don't know what you call it, just like, this is how it's, this is how we have to do it. This is how we have to approach things because so many things are coming out and we have to try to be okay. We're getting happy birthday text. I'm telling you to shut the fuck up. Cut this short. I'm going to have to edit that out. All of the editors here are dying inside. (laughs) Basically, yeah, it was just like, it's the criticism is hard. It's like, we have have to figure out how to write about our friends, Uh, not be scared to do it. When we say critique, I think that a lot of people think of that as automatically negative, right? But you could critique a film and give it like a glowing review or some things you liked and some things you didn't like. I remember when you wrote that, Jason, and I was like, oh, my God, at least he's doing it. But I just (laughs) have felt like we're, you know, we fight so hard for any kind of accurate relevance in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And so like to critique it, particularly something that's made by Native folks is Mm -hmm. um, is scary. It's scary to do that because it's like we just got barely half a seat at the table. Like, yeah, but I would I would say that like I mean we can critically you know cri- we're critically looking at the work and, the, and we're looking at things that could be improved and things that like and you know I look at my own work and I look back at some of my own old work and I'm just like I just recently looked at something I made ten years ago or something it was very painful to watch it was like it sounds terrible the acting cool. is terrible editing is terrible you know you learn from those processes and i think that any artist's worth his shit his or her shit their shit should be able to like you know take that input and and try to you know just at least listen at least listen to what people are saying because you're you're putting your work out there for people to take in and i'm always of the idea like either either you love it or you hate it but you know make be something don't be in the middle where no one gives a shit like have some sort of cause a reaction some sort of like because that you know you don't want people to just ignore it then what's the point of doing the work you know Um, yeah I think that that's where my dance background comes into play really well because mm -hmm. I studied ballet for so long and when you are putting your own physical body on the line day after day and having your instructors deconstruct every step 
yeah. every point, every placement of the hand, you become more receptive to constructive criticism and you don't yeah. take it as a personal attack. You know, you, you understand that these are people that are helping you be better at what you do. And I think that that's really why this podcast has been so important to me is because it's good stuff. We want it to improve. We want it to grow. We want to see it get a full seat at mainstream media table. And we want it to be taken seriously. It kind of reminds me of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? <laughs> and, and so if there's like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs among indigenous representation in media, like the bottom, which is like just housing and food is literally we're there. And maybe our images are a hate crime. Maybe they're not. And then as we move up, like criticism is somewhere up in the top of it where we are able to like actively criticize our own work and learn from it. I would emphasize critically, not necessarily criticize. You know? yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that is important to indicate because it's uh, what we're talking about is is not necessarily like criticism as a level of hatred or only pointing out what's bad. Yeah, being critical mm -hmm. is what the element of criticism is, I think. And Angela's right that we we want everybody to improve. I always have the belief that if there's actually more critical things to say, then somehow the work or the artist is, a, is at a level to receive a lot of that criticism. And, and I think it's actually a sign, like if somebody looks at a work and they're a good critic and they don't have very much to say, there's something probably wrong because there's not they're not responding and how that work then responds to audience and to other works of art like this is all a conversation if there's no conversation it's like there's no purpose almost i would say substance too if there's no substance to something if it's just like oh that was nice it's like wow yeah there really was not worth there was nothing worth discussing after i saw that if if everyone's just saying oh yeah that was cute or that was yeah. nice. <laughs> that was nice <laughs> You didn't yeah. think at all when you watched it because it didn't make you think, you know, it's like, that's sad. Yeah. And I think there also has to be something said for um, for, native, for Indigenous critics in particular about how they criticize other Indigenous work because most non-Native people probably don't know how because they'll see something that they don't understand in the content and something that they, uh, they question as, you know, um, almost like, uh, I guess, supernatural, because we're supernatural people, apparently, you know, they, they just go by what they know as in the mainstream media. And, and it's not a lot. They don't know a lot about Indigenous people, or they haven't until, you know, until now. So I think it's something to be said for Indigenous uh, critics to be able to know how to do, how to teach other critics to look at us and to, you know, I guess, understand the work and understand where we come from so and i think that's important because that's our voices and even talking about like what you guys are saying is how you know we talk about criticism you know criticism is more of a term of like a deeper understanding of something that we look at kind of like you know critical thinking or critical mi mindset of how we look at it. not we're critiquing this because it fucking sucks another term would be like more of an analysis you know an, an analysis of a film and i'm sure there's like a million different schools of how we approach fucking criticizing. I don't know because when I first started doing this shit, I, you know, I didn't know how how to critique anything because once a product is done, are you really like quote unquote critiquing it when you're talking about critiquing someone's script or someone's film in progress? Then you can say, oh yeah, here's what can change, what can do better. But once once a product's done, we're like, all right, well, here's, you know, what I got from this. And my feeling is that it's kind of weird that people listen to critics because you're just listening to someone's opinion and thoughts and what they're from their approach and feeling like Noetta said, you know, like a, a non-native is going to say, I don't know what the fuck that meant. I don't know what that was. And so then we we're talking also about recreating a new concept and idea of how we approach indigenous films, much like how we approach like foreign films. So we approach, you know, Films from China, we approach films from India. They all have like a background that we have to understand. And that's the same thing with these critics. And when they say, what the fuck? It's like, well, you have to understand the background. And you're not saying what the fuck when you're talking about other films that you talk about how much you love. I love the French New Wave. But you had to understand how it worked and what was going on. But you need to do your homework on this too. So let's talk about that. Like, 
what is your approach to analyzing or critiquing a film? Mine's more like usually from an indigenous approach. And a lot of times it's based on a genre. If it serves the purpose of what that movie's going to be, then I think it was successful. And so I don't really dislike movies or hate movies or TV shows because I understand that they're trying to do something. But I know in my opinion and in my feeling, I don't like it or if not into that certain thing. But if I saw see like a stupid comedy and you hear the critiques the next day talking about how shitty it was because it was vapid and nothing. But I was like, well, it made me fucking laugh. And that was the purpose of it. And so kind of if you guys can talk about like your own ideas of how you analyze or critique something, what your philosophy and feelings are when you approach that. I think for me, I I have to go into it. <laughs> I hate to say this, but I go into it with a, a bit of cynicism when I'm starting to watch a movie and I'm seeing how the opening goes and seeing what the pacing is and how the shots are set up and where story arcs are. And, but, but then if it's, if it takes me out of that thought process and I start being invested in the story and forgetting the details, then that means that I like it. <laughs> that's, then that's I usually a... go back and watch it again to pick, you know, pick out things that I did that I thought worked really well and da, da 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 da. So yeah, that's that's how I watch media. That's really important. Just what I mean, before you even started describing your process, just the fact that you're very aware of how you respond, I think is a really important part of someone who is being critical. The fact that you're going into an experience, in this case, like a movie you're describing, you're not only taking in the experience, but you're also taking in how you're responding. And I think all of that's very helpful when you're trying to analyze or be critical. You know, a lot of this is really based on, and unfortunately right now, I think it's a lot of it's really based on Western um, approaches of providing evidence. I think that's a very Western concept. Um, and I think that's where like maybe indigenous criticism needs to find its path. That's not necessarily, in, you know, based on evidence um, that's hard, but that's the tradition, I think, for anybody who is analyzing is to be aware of, well, at this point, I responded this way. And that I experience is bad because of the things that happened at that moment. Maybe they didn't structure the story well, or I was thinking about the cinematography and the camera people rather than the story. Um, those might be valid, but most importantly, they came as a way to be articulate to someone whether it's like a listener who's like also thinking about seeing that movie or it's the filmmaker who's like, you're telling them how to improve or it's like to just filmmakers and critics in general to say like this part of the movie you should pay attention to because I'm not sure if I had this same response as everybody else. I think that's really important. It's just being aware. And I think that's a tough thing for a lot of people who have never practiced being critical or analytical because it's um it takes a lot of effort just to be aware of like what how you're responding emotionally and psychologically. And then on top of that, pay attention to like what's happening in the movie in front of you. That's too much thinking, probably. It, and I'll just say, just to get back to this, like, you know, maybe I'm prepping too much, but this is all Western uh, analysis to me. It's like non-Indigenous. I feel like Indigenous criticism or, or, or anal analytics is about responding with the body. It's about responding to like history and to spirits and elders that may not be there physically but we know might be present or be, be affected by what we're looking at and all that stuff is not there's no hard evidence but when i you know when i watch something like edge of the knife that jason mentioned you know like there's like um you have to understand what spirits are and you have to understand like that one actor on screen is like a spirit and one actor on screen is uh not and if you don't know that information you, you can't respond to like how you're responding to those things but like watching that film, I always get really concerned that like maybe I'm watching something that other spirits around me are going to be affected by or like other people are going to be affected by the spirit that's in the movie. I feel like that's something I'm very heavily aware of as like a indigenous person watching indigenous content. But that seeps over into like movies where there's like supernatural elements or like paranormal elements. It's like watching The Nun 2 is also about like spirits and it's also like, you know, trauma related specifically and i'd be worried about if i'm walking in that theater and there's like my ancestors are walking in there with me is this movie going to affect them in a certain way and i feel like that affects my response to some degree i, I feel like it's about the body and it's about like being aware of 
the others around you a little bit, Indigenous-wise. Yeah, and so continue on with that concept of Western criticism versus Indigenous criticism. Let's kind of talk about that, because Noetta had mentioned, you know, she had some deep thoughts about how we approach Indigenous works and Indigenous films and television and media and how we criticize them and what approach we do when we criticize them. When you first uh, emailed me about how I critique things, that was a big question, Tully, because I never even thought about it because it was just something I feel like I've always been doing. I've always been critiquing the things I've watched. I've always been, you know, thinking, oh, well, that could have been done differently or, oh, why did they just go this way? Or why did they, you know, why did they go a roundabout way and make it longer, you know, storytelling purposes and stuff like that. And then it made me think about kind of how whenever I do my recaps and stuff, you know, like, like I said before, I do a lot of research into the source material when it comes to especially to indigenous content and where these stories come from, because I feel like it's very important that that we understand, you know, like the trauma, like like Sunrise says, and we understand how that, uh, how, how that can not only affect us, but other indigenous viewers. So that's where whenever I'm watching indigenous content, you know, it's, I go in like kind of like with a kind of very serious mind. I like Angela because I already know based on you know what I see in the trailer where where this story could go and where it could go bad and where it could bring to light the resilience that I'm always looking for in indigenous people whenever I'm watching indigenous content so you know being an indigenous person that's easy for me to do but I don't see that it's like I have to give this example um is it that Indian the one Michael Gray Eyes was that what it's called Wild Indian, I think. Wild Indian, yeah. Whenever I watched that and, and you know, you could kind of, you as soon as you it came on, you you saw the trauma. You saw, you saw kind of see where the story was, line was going. But I read a lot of other uh, reviews about it from other uh, non-Native writers and they, they just didn't get it. They just said it was slow. There was no point to it. And it was just one of those things that kind of stood out to me. It was like, if you're not Native and, or you don't know Native people, and you don't know the trauma, you don't know the backstories of their people, then you're really just not going to get it. And I think I even said that in my review. If you, if you don't know Native people, you're not going to get it. Or if you don't come from, live around a Native community. And I think with the emergence of, you know, Rutherford Falls and Reservation Dogs and now um, Dark Winds, there's a lot more critiques, I feel like, especially of Reservation Dogs. I saw so many, so many articles this last week about Reservation Dogs because it was the final season in Rolling Stone and Vanity Fair and Variety. You know, everybody's talking about it now. So it's like, okay, well, I haven't read all of them, but I'm hoping and I'm, I'm very hopeful that they're they're looking at it from not having to understand the indigenous side, but being respectful of it. I always find them to be uh, boring. Like every like what they're writing about is just like so much less than what we could write about. But what we do write about when we write about it, I don't know if you guys have that same feeling, but yeah, I'm looking at the, when I see, yeah, everyone's writing about every time I get like a quarter of the way in, I'm just like, there's nothing here that for me, like, it's just not interesting and very, um, there's not a whole lot of substance. It's, and they're missing a whole lot of things that we already know about. Yeah. They're restating a lot of the obvious. Yes. Yes. It's so boring to me. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I feel like because. Maybe it's because they don't know how to write about it. I don't know. Well, they just don't know as much as we do about it. And it's yeah. not fault, but it's like we could they add so much more. They don't identify. Yeah, they're not immersed in our culture. So and, that, that, and it, uh, they don't want to be sometimes. So and that that's a problem, too. Yeah, that's true. But the, a, a lot of this seems to be related to a little bit what Noetta says in terms of research. Like if people did the research you know, they could probably get into a better place where they're comprehending some things over others. Not that they can get everything, but maybe being an effective critic outside of your zone is knowing what your limits are and just articulating that. Like if somebody just said, now I'm not this, but it seems like this to me, maybe that's right. Maybe it's not. I don't know. This sort of makes me think, you know, just outside of like thinking about film criticism, but like a food critic probably doesn't know everything about like an art critic, you know, like an opera critic and vice versa, but uh, they would have the skills of criticism and, you know, like being aware. And I would probably trust them. I would trust an opera critic about food more than I would like a non-critic about food because they're aware of the experience and they're thinking about how do I communicate this? 
Um, mm-hmm. But and it's also I would expect the opera critic to do some research about the food before actually becoming a really effective critic about food. Um, and it feels like maybe that's the same thing that should happen. It's just like, you know, just do the work, really. Um, I think maybe at the end of the day, it's, it just needs to be all Indian critics. Like to be writing about these show, like reservation dogs in particular, because it's like we could do so much better with so much less resources <laughs> than what I'm reading. I don't know about that or about, about certain shows like reservation dogs in particular, all of us here, I think we could all write so much more. We would have so much more to say, you know? Yeah, that's definitely true. I'm not saying that that's not the case. I'm just saying they just need to do the work to realize what, what they really have to do, I guess, because they're not going to go away. There, there is going to be an opera critic that wants to write about food. It's just going to happen. Just like there's going to be a non-native person who's got to write. And that's going to happen with Killers of the Fire Moon. Oh, God, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> right? There's going to be a German that wants to dance. Right, yeah. That's going to come out. And then, you know what? Fancy Dance is going to have a wider release. And then because audiences are familiar with Lily, they're going to be like, oh, well, let me write about this. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. But obviously, the people who have an indigenous background probably have a stronger sense of critiquing elements of the indigenous but anyway i think yeah it goes back to also like what i was saying about how critics learn other cultures of filmmaking and learn the language that's being told but they're just being behind in this kind of indigenous concept because there's classes you know in colleges of you know foreign films and all those kind of things like matt said and I think what's going to at least push them forward to understanding the language of indigenous filmmaking is that they'll get a sense of what the way in which we tell our stories through film, our indigenous stories. And then you got to also add on that, you know, you got all these different indigenous cultures, indigenous tribes, indigenous peoples from all over the world who are vastly different than another. And I don't even know if they're aware of that. They they might be just lumping us all into one, you know. And so, and so then you're going to have to go expand beyond that. It's this whole thing. You just have to figure it out and learn it and understand it. And in reality, you would think at this point in time, they would know what they were watching, would understand. But I don't know if they have the capability. I mean, you're talking about a ton of different things to to know about us. And then you, if you think about, you know, they're, these people, they're writing about all kinds of things. And they, I don't know if they necessarily would have the time, maybe, or even maybe the, maybe, I don't want to say, People are too dumb to know all these things, but it's a lot of things to ask of people to know all this stuff about ind- indigeneity. And it kind of goes back to this whole idea. This the, the idea I have is like you know about native filmmaking. It's like oh, the, the best native filmmaker, the best native filmmaking is going to be native filmmakers. It's like you can't really, maybe with the exception of Martin Scorsese making this western, but that might change things. But it's like you you have this white person who's trying to you know use this intermediary of a native script or native actors but they have their own vision i see that as the same thing as like a white critic trying to you know write about content native film and tv that he doesn't really know he or she or they doesn't know anything about i just i don't know in my years of writing this and and when people not really or me explaining things that i thought were just like just common sense i guess that's where i'm coming from things i thought were common sense are not common sense to non-indigenous people and it kind of blows them away sometimes when i'm writing about something and illuminate some concept that they, they didn't know about indigeneity and i'm just like it's not that big a deal but to them it is i don't know if they if, if non-indigenous critics have it in them to really write as well as we want them to you know you're also we're kind of in this territory where it's like i'm wondering like what's the difference between what we're talking about where we expect critics to know a lot of things about us versus just like the populace Right. Like when we walk into some place and, you know, we're wearing indigenous wear, we're wearing regalia, we're wearing like imagery or, you know, artwork. And and somebody says something that's naive. We're expecting them in the future to know better. If we walk around, we, we tell them things and they should be listening and we come back and we enter the same room another time. And those people are there. They should know better is kind of what we're expecting. And if critics are going to be that person in this room and we're showing them a native film one day and then they hear something from us about what's in it and they didn't think about it the next time they see a native film i'm going to expect them to come to the table with having done some work because that's what we do everywhere else if i feel like if we don't expect that but we also don't do the work 
then there's no commonality. And then we just like everybody's just sort of like, well, I feel like people will just not care and they won't apply it in other areas of their life. I, I think Sarah, you have much more faith in that than I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like I, optimism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it is. It, it is an optimistic way. I, I don't. I don't expect them to know everything, you know. But I do expect them to do some work, mm. and maybe that. Maybe that by itself is too optimistic, and that's kind of where we're, we're at in terms of the complaints that we're having right now. So I just understand them to not really be as as good as I would want them to be, as we can be. Right. Yeah. I just feel like we approach things from such a different lens anyway. I mean, like Tully would never, it would never occur to him to just be like, hey, I saw this film and now I'm going to write about it. You know, even though this is the first time I've ever seen it kind of, I, I lived in Prague when I was in college for a year and there was like 50,000 Americans living there in the Czech Republic. And there were not one, but two novels, two books about Americans who had moved to Prague, who thought that just because they had moved to Prague, that that was like enough to write a book. And they were published. They were 100 percent published, you know, and and I was making this joke like, well, since I've been here for 15 minutes, I am now an expert on the Czech Republic and I'm going to go ahead and write a book. And like Native people just don't do shit like that. And I'm not trying to like speak for all native people, but I kind of just did. So <laughs> it's a colonial, colonial mindset you're talking about. Yeah. You're talking yeah. about colonial. And and like you know, my classmates were like just sort of astonished that I was so outraged by these books. They were like, Well, this is how we can learn more about Czech people. I'm like, through Americans who moved here? Like, <laughs> what is going on? The other thing. When I lived in the Czech Republic, I learned a lot. I studied um, photography for a semester and then filmmaking for a semester. And the Czech professors, I don't know if it was like communism was the context of why they acted like this, but there was no sugarcoating, nothing. They were like, that is terrible. Did you not listen to anything that I told you? I might as well have been talking to myself. That's the kind of criti critique we got from our professors. Jason, I wanted to ask you, like, if you think that Native folks should be critiquing Native work, are we also allowed to critique, like, non-Native work, like, movies like Dumb Money? And, I mean, I don't know anything about making money. Can we also reserve the right to critique things that are outside of our own wheelhouses? That's that's interesting because um, I just did, and this is not a critique. This is not criticism. It's uh, I did, like, a, a series rewind for variety, which was something it was, I did one for on reservation dogs, which is indigenous. And I love that. I'm very proud of that one, but I did one for um, this TV show called killing it with uh, Craig Robinson. I, yeah. I freaking love that show. I watched it twice. It was so good. So yeah. Yeah. I had to watch the whole season and like, well, I wrote a piece, but then I did like, I don't have producer credit on that one, but I did like write the script and they, they used parts of it and pick clips out. It was a wild, it was a way different experience than, than what I'm used to, because obviously, you know, I've done a lot of, mostly what I'm doing is indigenous TV and film lately. So it was a nice challenge. Uh, I, I like, I mean, I appreciated that, that season. Uh, I probably wouldn't have watched it had I not been like gotten that job, but it was, a, it was a nice like exercise in just looking at things outside of like an indigenous lens, looking at the uh, class, uh, looking at Florida <laughs> and looking at like a, you know, a comedy, just looking at different, like those specific things, like that had nothing to do with indigeneity. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know how well it went over, but I mean, I, they published it and everything. So, so he's saying yes. This is sort That's of a awesome. roundabout way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't enjoy it as much as I loved doing the Reservation Dog series rewind because that actually had like a purpose for like an Emmy campaign kind of thing, which apparently yeah. was not successful at all. I didn't really help, but uh, I tried. <laughs> but that was like so much more enjoyable because I was like, I was like, I know this show inside and out. And so it was so easy to do. Like I actually got producer credit on that video and I wrote the script and I used all that. So I was very proud of that one. I was obviously connected to that one. Whereas killing it, I was just like, okay, this is just like a job. I'm just trying out this new muscle or whatever, you know? I, I used to do a recap and review of the walking dead whenever it was on for 
like three or four seasons and I even got on Rotten Tomatoes as a critic uh, and had them feature, you know, the, the reviews that I had there. But that one was more coming from a fan point of view than it was critiquing because I'd read the comics and, and, I, and I compared it often to the TV show. I kind of strayed away from it after things kind of slowed down, but that, that's beside the point. But it was just one of those things that it was just a lot of fun for me to talk about, you know, my thoughts and feelings of each episode. It wasn't so much looking at camera angles and continuity and things like that. It was just from a fan point of view. And, and I actually, I missed an episode one time and I had people emailing me saying, where is your recap? Where's your review? You know, they were looking for it. So it's, it's one of those things that was, it was a lot of fun because people were interacting with me and sharing their views and, you know, even getting into uh, conversations, you know, about, things that they liked and things that they disagreed with me on, but they were good conversations. What is that discourse? So it was, it was a fun thing to do to be able to interact with other people who love the show as much as I did. So, I mean, like what this sounds like to me is that we're experts in indigeneity because of our inherent backgrounds, but we're also experts in some other form, right? Uh, Jason became an expert because he watched the entire series and he's also somewhat an expert because he's already like, like most Americans, probably familiar with comedies, familiar with sitcoms, mm-hmm. familiar with the work of Craig Robinson. So like the fact that he just naturally became an expert out of work that took some time, I would expect the same thing out of a critic who is looking at Killers of Our Moon, for example, who's non-Indigenous. I would expect them to know the work of Martin Scorsese. I'd expect them to know the work of Lily Gladstone the same way. I would expect them to know the Western I would expect them to know also like what it means for an indigenous genre. Yeah, uh, but we were brought up in these genres. You know, that whole that whole walking in two worlds thing. We yeah. we grew up with westerns. We grew up with sitcoms. So being in a western world, we are experts because Yeah, that that that's true. But also like Jason just gave an example like he didn't want he wouldn't have watched the show if he didn't have to and he became an expert in the show. You know, this is sort of like a micro version. I'm not saying that he probably knows everything about the show. He'd say like, you know, <laughs> everything there is to say about the show. Just like a non-Indigenous person, I don't expect them to have everything right. But maybe they get one thing right because they've done some work. But I feel like there's a way for us to accept that that's possibly valid as long as they improve. Well, I would say I think it's valid, but I would much rather read the work of what each of you guys would write about the things that are out there that are indigenous related. I guess, I mean, we know way more than they will ever know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I will only, I will probably, like I said, I was like reading all these, these things. Me and Noetta were reading these things that were published about Reservation Dogs in the last episode. I'm just like, it's so boring. And I go back to that. I would rather just read or talk to what you guys are thinking about these things than some subpar you know, writer who's doesn't really know anything and can try to do the best research that they can, but they really will never know what we know, you know? Yeah, I think, I think that's true. I guess I'm just saying that it's possible that I feel like we're in a new period where there's this uh, communication across our divide. And I think a lot of this has to do with just sort of like this Renaissance that, you know, our, our works are now so much more accessible to an audience. That's not just us. And so an audience that's not just us is going to talk about them. And we're now put in a position where we're confronted by the fact that like we have to deal with people who are going to be talking about us and talking about our artwork in a way that hasn't happened as much as it has today. There's sort of, I agree, I would rather, I would get much more out of reading an Indigenous critic than a non-Indigenous critic. But I feel like I would also learn about what non-indigenous people know about us from a non-indigenous person who's trying and that would help me also like just outside of like film i guess it would help me know how to communicate to other people about what they do or don't know or what they think they know or what they don't think they know and that ultimately will get us to a place where just like outside of film criticism outside of movies outside of like media and art we're just able to talk to each other better and i i do think that is a function of any kind of analysis and discussion of art it can function as a way to just bridge divide i guess that's like you know again it's utopian yeah because we're 
you know, we're not going to have every native be writing for New York Times or whatever. Well, why not? We, I mean, why it not? It should be on every, on every. And, and it should be. Yeah. yeah, it should be. No, they don't and, even have a good reporter to cover native topics at, on the, at the time. And, and it's affairs reporting. Yeah. And so, and I think Sunrise is saying, just do your basic homework when you write about native people or indigenous people and just understand you may not, you don't have to know every goddamn thing because no one's going to know every goddamn thing about every goddamn culture, but at least know what the fuck to a certain extent to be able to do a smart critical analysis. And so then going back on where natives talking about non-native films, I think with what like Angela said, like, well, you know, we're colonized to where we are forced to learn Western concepts. These films that we grew, grew up on mostly are Western films, mostly Hollywood produced things until we, you know, discover independent films when we discover these other films but then again because we grew up in native households we probably watch a lot of native films too but a lot of the films that we would go out to the theater for were for fucking like you know the whatever's the the movie of the week and so we do have that knowledge and so that's why we are any other person BIPOC person can criticize in a smart and anal analytical kind of way say like Mission Impossible 50 or whatever and so <laughs> I, th I think it could be both, you know, but as Sunrise says, we do need more film critics out there to our TV critics to talk about these things, to give this logical understanding that we already have ingrained in us to say our point of view of what these what these stories are. So how, how do you see the, how do you say the aesthetic of indigenous storytelling and media as opposed to other uh, cultures of storytelling? Is, what, what are some differences that you see or what are some things that you're seeing trending now? In, in our in our culture. I really enjoy the use of place in this new indigenous media that we're very aware of where we are and what it looks like and what it sounds like and what it smells like. And you see that translated on the screen in a lot of work that I see, not just from Sterling, but Sierra and I mean, all these other native filmmakers give you that sense of being in a place. Does that make sense? Yeah, like Dark Winds is in the Southwest. Reservation Dogs is, we all know that landscape, Oklahoma. And the use of place and space is probably important because a lot of, again, like Monica says, I'm not speaking for all indigenous people, but a lot of indigenous people have a understanding of land, understanding of place. Mm -hmm. And even like, you know, when we first started talking about Reservation Dogs earlier on in, in the podcast about of how we talked about how the show is not really about those four kids. It's actually about the whole, that whole reservation. It's the reservation is the main character. And so we get to see all the different people. And then last night when Sterling showed the, the final episode, that's what he mentioned. He said, it's not really about those four guys. It's about the community. And that's one thing that's very, that's very big in uh, native storytelling is this idea of community and, you know, one of the, jokes that people would say like is that whenever an Indian would write a play they would put 12 people on stage because that's how they see the stories being told it's like there's not like one main character and so I think that's one of the important things that we're going to probably see more of where you know we're probably more you know Robert Altman and you know Tom Cruise and in, in the way we tell our stories oh, that's a great yeah that's a great parallel just because and I absolutely love Robert Altman movies <laughs> yeah it's interesting it's interesting you say that because because Sterling also mentioned this is like as an aside afterward he was like uh, I just mentioned that that was the his most interesting burial or funeral scene which seems to happen in every Sterling movie almost uh, <laughs> but that, but that was the most interesting one to me because there were so many perspectives and points of view yeah. and he said he said he quoted Robert Altman he was like yeah that was totally my Robert Altman version. And he could do it. Like the fact that a series allows us to kind of hop into these different stories of these different lives of the community, just the format is a little bit more indigenous than like a single feature film. And that's, you know, I think part of like the aesthetic, I guess, is like what form we see a lot of these stories being told as a single serving, whether it's a short or a feature, it's probably very challenging to get the idea of the community in there. But like the fact that the series can handle it and you and you get to spend time with them in the way that you would with anybody in, in, in any indigenous community, the amount of time you spend with someone, the number of people you spend, 
the dense relationships that you start to grasp really only happens with the kind of a series format that that I thought was really awesome just in terms of like as reservation dogs like revealed itself it just it really made me think of like um in addition to the the huge treat that we've had for three years of this show and and the, those of us that have these this connection to Oklahoma and just knowing all these characters and actors and counting them as friends, the writers, producers, the land. I wonder, I hope that there'll be another like uh, reservation dogs somewhere else in the country. And I look, I look forward to like learning about, cause I know this culture, I know our culture. I know that culture. I want to learn about like another culture. I want to like Montana's version of reservation dogs or Seattle or wherever, you know, Eastern band Cherokee, wherever, like some, I look forward to that. I hope that that does happen. And it makes me excited to, to think about that. And I hope that happens. Have you guys seen Mohawk girls? Oh Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. I haven't seen it because it's, you know, based in Canada and I, I don't know, maybe I should learn how to use the VPN and to be able to watch it. I saw it on Peacock, actually. What? So, yeah, yes, it was on right. Peacock. Yeah. I canceled Peacock in protest. We we all did. We all did. <laughs> we all did. <laughs> Is it still on Peacock? I don't know. I canceled Jason, it. Jason would know. We canceled it. <laughs> I have. I didn't. I don't know. I don't know if it's on there or not. But <laughs> you know, this is based in another community. One I'm very interested in, and would like you know another tribal community, and I would like to learn more. You know, yeah. and be able to watch it and mm-hmm. see and critique <laughs> as well. Yeah. yeah. What I think too are you know family across the borders and across the oceans. They kind of do have various stories like this where we can see community stories i remember there was like the res which was another canadian show that came out like a long time ago i can't even remember when it came out but somehow Mm -hmm. i came across and was able to watch it and it was based on a dance me outside and they did a tv show version of that and so there's all these things and maybe even like within the movies and you know australia and new zealand you know they have a government that supports the programming Mm -hmm. you get to see you do have to admit, I mean, it's very difficult to get like Graham Greene. I was just seeing, watching that last, one of the last scenes, you got Graham Greene and you have like uh, Gary Farmer and you have freaking West Duty in the same frame. Casey Camp. That is yeah. very, very difficult mm-hmm. to recreate and do. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. I mean, I know that there's all these other shows and I will seek out those shows at some point and I'm sure they're great. But to do what Sterling did with this show with this this incredible cast and I don't know I'm I could be just biased I could be biased I don't know <laughs> well that's another thing about critiquing native content is you know yeah I am biased about it you know because I want it to do well I want people to see it I want people to understand it so you know um, it was hard for me to critique Re- Reservation Dogs and it's hard for me to cr- critique Rutherford Falls because Mm-hmm. I knew the creators. So, you know, you want them to do well. And like, like we said earlier, so, you know, native people can critique the the content, but are we going to be too biased? You know, are we, are we going to say everything that's good and not look at what could improve or if there was something that was a misstep? Well, I was going to say, that's a very important thing to talk about. Cause like part of this thing we're talking about with community, which is the strength of a lot of these shows is that that's the challenge to criticism is the community the fact that you are going to be connected somehow. You're going to know these people because of your friends, they're your family, you're, they're your colleagues, you're going to go to work tomorrow and see them. All, all that tight-knit community is a challenge to work through. This does make me think about an element of criticism that's different from non-Indigenous, and that's we have a model for this, right? There are just There are people in our community that have certain areas of expertise, and we go to them. And, you know, like when we need help, we go to, you know, somebody that knows how to handle medicine. When we need guidance, we go to someone who's an elder or they're an expert in a certain area. And it feels like criticism in the future, if it's going to have some sort of form, this is like probably the role we have to figure out as analogous to these community communal roles. The person who is the elder is able to kind of like they see the good and the bad, but there's also a way in which they deliver that information in a way that's not like hurtful and it's guiding and it's also like supportive, but also like not letting you off the hook. 
that comes with time and that uh, that's something I don't think that exists yet. I don't I don't think we have that kind of role or I don't even think we think about that when it comes to like media criticism or art criticism, maybe even. Oh, I mean, it makes me think about intersectionality, how we identify with multiple factors of advantage and disadvantage. We talk about criticizing indigenous films. What is our perspective of the ind- indigenous storytelling in itself? Like, you know, we got Martin Scorsese telling the story of the Osage murders on one side. And then on another side, you know, we got Sterling Harjo telling the story of the Muscogee Creek uh, community. Where are we with, with that idea? Who gets to tell our stories and when and why and how? It's, it's That's a tough one. I think that at this stage, we're just now to the maybe I'd say the toddler stage of telling our stories and there's been some excellent allies that have helped I mean the Sundance Institute obviously has been a big ally to bring up all of these I would say Martin Scorsese is I mean we haven't seen the film yet but he worked you know with the Osage in a way that seems to be setting the standard for telling other people's stories so I mean who knows what who knows what tomorrow brings? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, as everyone is probably that, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon. And I was always, I've always been of the idea that like only Native people should be making Native films. Well, they we know how to make our own work, but I'm really intrigued by this concept of Scorsese directing this this uh, Osage story, and it's got a lot of good reviews, and the Osage people seem to be happy about it. I'm trying to get a copy of this because i'm supposed to write up a, a piece on it uh this this next month and i'm really excited to to see it and i mean scorsese i mean you can go you could you could do worse than scorsese doing doing a story i'll watch he, anything he does you know he has a pretty good track record of being respectful of what he's of the, the stories that he's telling and the people that, he, that they're about i'm thinking about like kundun and oh silence Everything that I've heard from, you know, people who were in the film and who were around the film and and, in the community, they really appreciated that he listened and that he went to, you know, he went out to the community. He he learned about what was a normal thing for the Osage people. Like, and they had, they had a powwow at the very end. You know, he was there with Leonardo DiCaprio. And that's what I'm talking about when doing the research and, you know, just putting yourself in the position to learn. And and that's what Scorsese did. He put himself in a position to learn about the community he's he's writing about. He's he's telling the story about. Even though the book comes from a very non-native perspective, he still he could have made that movie outside of Pahuska. He could have made it outside of Oklahoma, and he didn't. You know, he he, he put himself in the community and he learned what he needed to learn to tell the story. And I'm and I'm very excited about that uh, because I know that that is one thing that the OJ Nation really went hard on is getting him to let them be a part of it uh, that's the important part is like he's not just listening but like the fact that he brought people in the the right people were asked to be involved stages that where other people would not have in the writing and then the design and um, even the fact that they had a, a version and he learned more from a pipe and he came back and then made adjustments as the result of what he learned you know like that's the work but yeah, he had a temperament where he was willing to collaborate. That's important. So our big takeaway is learn. <laughs> learn from whatever you're working and whatever you're doing. <laughs> work, work, work with the peoples. Learn, bitches. <laughs> All right. So information dogs say, love you, bitches. Yeah, I'm just going off of them. That's what the kids say, right? <laughs> Learn from the kids. <laughs> so, anyways, we're getting kind of late on this, and you know, we probably talk for hours because you know, get all a bunch of fucking nerds. But let's, uh, <laughs> it's probably time to wrap up. And so, let's uh, just kind of, if, if you guys have any final thoughts, final feelings, final, you know, things you got to say, maybe tell us now that Reservation Dogs is done, where we can find some some of our, you know, best represented Indigenous storytelling and that kind of thing. So. Let us, uh, you know, give us a little shutdown of any final words and thoughts on that. Well, I'm going to say that looking to the future, I'm looking forward to more genre, native genres, like Mm -hmm. that elusive rom-com. Come on, (laughs) y'all. Like that Christmas movie? What was that? The 
Christmas in the clouds. Christmas in the clouds. Hey, Christmas in the clouds. Graham Greene is like that. That's a classic. Yeah, it is a classic. <laughs> he is pretty classic. funny in it, though. There's a couple of PBS things coming up that uh, I'm not necessarily endorsing, but I'm just like that are native adjacent. Well, one is actually specific. <laughs> native. <laughs> There's like uh, Na- Native America, I think it's called. Yeah. Yeah, see. Native American. So that's coming out. Uh, that actually has um, Native producers on it and um, and Native content. And then there's that uh, Ken Burns thing called American, was it American Bison or something like that? I don't know. Um, I don't really know much about that. I know there's probably Catlin paintings in there. So I don't know. <laughs> Shout out to PBS, keeping, keeping Native storytelling alive. <laughs> right. One way or the other. Well, I know Juliana Brennan was like some sort of consultant or something on that um, Ken Burns thing. And that Native America is like the Glassman documentary series. Yeah. Like it's the continuation from previous. Yeah. Yes. Which, which, yeah, Juliana was part of as well. Not this one. Not this one, though. Not yeah, this. That, does, that yeah, says something. She's part of season one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, since I'm speaking, I'll say um, uh, there's the series called Little, Little Bird up north in Canada. I think it's like on their Crave channel, but that is all, um, well, not all, but a majority of indigenous writers and directors. Um, Podemsky's a, uh, a co-writer on that and a showrunner. And that's just sort of like a coming of age of uh, matriarchs. I think that's supposed to come to us at some point. So I would be on the lookout for that. And, you know, people are winning awards up there for that. Yeah, that's what I would say. But uh, <clears throat> just kind of my final thought is that even though I think everybody has the right to their opinion, both critically and then also like the fact that they can make a movie like Scorsese can make his film, there will always be the opportunity for the other side, like an Osage to make a film of their perspective if they disagree. I feel like one film doesn't exclude the fact that another one can be made. But also I am just like I'm expecting like criticism to include like our own native thinking of roles and forms of criticism i'm also expecting the genres that are indigenous like the auntie genre i feel like is something that erica tremblay has been working with and i feel like there's elder cinema and i feel like there's medicine cinema out there and i think those are things that are inherent to us but i also think that each one of our cultures each one of our tribal cultures specifically and maybe even bands I feel like we have our own form of communication and language. And I'm just waiting for the day where it's like, I can watch a, a Comanche film that is very inherently Comanche and like a Navajo sitting there and they like, I, they're like, I don't understand what's going on with this film. This is like too, <laughs> too specifically tribal and I don't get it. There are all these days. Yeah. Nine stuff. But that would be cool, I, you know, like, and that's related to language, I think. And the more that we have language revitalization, I think the more people are going to realize that, you know, cinema will have a analogy to language, maybe. When we have more involvement of our own natural ways of communicating that those cinema languages are going to come out. I guess I'll say that Jason and I are proof that there's room at the table for Native writers, that there are Native writers out there that you know want want to express their opinions they want to put their name on something and stand behind it the way Jason and I do so uh, it's it's something that like with the you know what reservation dogs did for television you know we can do for uh, writing um, journals or magazines uh, online magazines whatever whatever it is you know there's room for us out there and if you're a native writer and you're listening to this don't be afraid don't be afraid to, to critique the non-native content and the native content. So, words of wisdom from the great Noeta Harjo. I think unless you guys got something else to say, I think that's a good place to sign off. Thank you guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. And like I said, you know, we might be stew pigeons and we might be assholes, but we'll be here to talk about more shit in the future because there's gonna be more shit coming. Ain't that right? And if you know, write to your uh, you know producers, write to the TV shows, tell them to get those content out there, get those shows, keep coming. And so everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you soon at some indigenous time on this indigenous podcast. And remember, don't just keep it real. Keep it real. Real indigenous. Indigenous. Fucking fuck.
get up every fucking time. <laughs> That's her trademark now. <laughs> it always sounds like a funeral song. Greek <laughs> dirt. Like fucking drunk song, like somebody out of the park trying to sing a bunch of alcoholics. <laughs>